between a rock and a hard place? Are you not sure if you're a sinner or a saint? Do you think you've lost your salvation? Let me take you to the New King James Version. In the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 12 through 14, and Jesus says, What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is strained? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Welcome to Save the Lost at All Costs. Hosted by Save the Lost at All Costs, Inc. Featuring your sister in Christ and humble servant of the Lord, Nina S. Griffin. Good afternoon. You're listening to Sister Nina S. Griffin, and we are on Save the Lost at All Costs. We're going to open up phone lines right away. If you are local, you would dial 702-650-5588. Again, if you're local, you have a praise report, you have a question, like to join in on our discussion, we'd love to hear from you locally. Please dial 702-650-5588. If you're calling outside the Las Vegas area, we do have a toll-free number for you to do the same. That number is 800-366-8883. Again, 800-366-8883. We are being streamed live over KKVV's website, and their web address is www.kkvv.com. Hello and God bless. I just wave to you. We also are being streamed live from Save the Lost at All Costs' website. Our web address is www.savethelostlv.org. If you have missed any of our previous broadcasts, just go to the website address. Again, www.savethelostlv.org. Look for radio broadcasts, our archives. Just click on to the date that you'd like to listen to as the Holy Spirit leads you. They all are free. The gospel is always free on our watch. I encourage you to listen with someone else. Also, if you have a Apple device, then we are being free uh, as far as it's free to you on Apple as well. We're being archived on iTunes. So check us out. Again, the gospel is always free on our watch. If you have a cell phone and you want to listen to KKVV.com, or KKVV 1060 AM. Guess what? You're in luck. All you have to do is dial this number. You can listen to the broadcast right now or listen uh, to KKVV anytime you like. Put this in your phone contacts under KKVV. It would be one of the best phone contacts you have. It only works in the United States. And that number is 563-999-3194. Again, cell Again, cell phone. So there are a couple of things going on and then we're going to get to our topic today. And I would like to uh, give honor to my dear mother for birthing my oldest brother. That would be Brian Keith. Brian Keith is with the Lord and today is his birthday So God bless my mother for having a wonderful son who turned out to be my big brother. And I thank you, Brian, for taking godly instruction because a day like this would come. And uh, you have been with the Lord since 7-11-11. 
uh, in his rest. So God bless you, brother. And this was the day that you came into uh, the world. And we love you. And I know we'll see you again. Want to give honor to the fathers out there. Uh, God bless you. I've contacted a lot of you today. And I appreciate you. I love you. And also want to give honor to my natural father, Philip Jefferson, who has gone to be with the Lord. Uh, my wonderful second father who married my mother in six weeks with three kids. God bless him. Uh, Fred Thompson, who's also gone to be with the Lord. I appreciate you. You came into my life when I was seven years old. And I'm still reaping the blessings and the lessons from both my fathers. So I feel doubly honored. Uh, to my younger brother, Roger. God bless you, Roger. Thank you for being a wonderful father and a brother. He's the father of five, great husband, great son, uh, great uncle, great, great uncle. He's a great uncle too. So God bless you. So I definitely want to give, uh, honor where honor is due and to my senior pastor, Joseph E. Terry Jr. Thank you and God bless you, Pastor Terry. You've been a wonderful father uh, to me as well. And I appreciate your family, your wonderful wife, Lady Desiree, and my wonderful brothers and sisters that you have presented to me um, through the union of your marriage and marriage before you guys got together. So I'm blessed. I really am. So thank you. Now, as you know, I promised you a Greek word every week. So I have my Greek word. And uh, let me get it up for you. And it is coming out of, let's get it, it's coming. Give me a moment. I have to pull it off my phone. Usually I don't do that. But I had to do it today because another thing, uh, I officiated a celebration of life for a dear brother of Christ, also a brother who is celebrating recovery Brother Jeff Helly, uh, he went to be with the Lord. His birthday was uh, Thursday, Flag Day for some. That would be the 14th. And uh, I officiated his celebration of life uh, today at 1 p.m. So it was an honor and a blessing to be able to do that. And uh, thank you for your race, Brother Jeff. Thank you for your obedience. And thank you for always fighting the fight uh, to stay recovered and to, uh, you know, fight uh, the addiction that uh, alcohol and drugs had on your life. So God bless you, your loving father, loving husband, a dear brother in Christ and a dear brother in recovery. And I know that uh, you are resting with the Lord. So bless you. And please uh, continue to pray for the Helly family. That's H-E-L-L-I-E. It would be appreciated that you pray uh, for their comfort and strength in the Lord. Uh, Jeff was very precious to them. And had he uh, made it to his birthday, he would have been enjoying 57 years on this earth. But guess what? Now he is in eternity with the Father. So praise God. The word that we have for you uh, is Strong's number 3962, and it is pater, pater, P-A-T-E-R, and its definition is generator or male ancestor, either the nearest ancestor, father, 
uh, more remote ancestor, the founder of a family or a tribe, uh, a forefather, someone such as Abraham is called, Jacob and David are fathers, ancestors, forefathers, or founders of a nation. So that's what uh, this definition for pater is, and that's P-A-T-E-R, again, Strong's 3962. So uh, it is considered a noun, and it would be masculine. So what we're going to talk about today is the fatherhood of God. And I saw something that was very good uh, in my studies, and subsequently uh, this was written by uh, a brother in Christ by the name of Mark J. Kelly. So I want to uh, share with you uh, some thoughts that he had on the fatherhood of God. I thought it was very good and so much so that I want to uh, share it with you. So uh, it goes like this. The fatherhood of God is perhaps the most overlooked attribute of God in the Christian world. Christians worldwide pray to God by uttering the familiar words, Our Father who art in heaven. Father is the most familiar term for God in Christian tradition, and perhaps the most theologically significant title for God in all of Scripture. What is the significance of God as Father? How does God exhibit his fatherhood to mankind? Is the image of God as Father now outdated by the current changing climate of Western society that is striving for a matriarchal society or even an asexual one? Is the fatherhood of God an eternal, immutable attribute or an outdated anthropomorphism? These are questions that are extremely critical to the church today. Defining Fatherhood Fatherhood, in a basic sense, can be defined in several ways. A father is one that establishes or is head of a household, and an originator or patron of a class, profession, or art, a producer or generator. He feeds his household physically and spiritually. He loves and cares for this household because it is his in the Greek language, father literally means nourisher, protector, or upholder. Holy Scripture presents the concept of fatherhood in several ways. Number one, headship and generating and establishing a household. Two, feeding, nourishing, or protecting his offspring. Three, maintenance, upholding that which he established. Let's look at headship. The first glimpse of the fatherhood of God is in the book of Genesis. Chapters 1 through 3 in Genesis are about God generating and establishing a household. The plants and other things are created after their own kind in Genesis 1.25. But God created man in his own image in Genesis 1.26. God creates Mankind in two parts, man and woman. There is a spiritual equality implied in the verse. Chapter 2 describes in detail the creation of mankind. In Genesis 2, 
verse 7, we are shown that the male was created first. Adam is generated and then established in the garden. God being a father established a covenant with Adam, wherein life is promised to Adam. You find that in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. God made a covenant with Adam before Eve was actually created. Genesis 2, verses 22 and 23, describes the creation of Eve and the completion of the creation of mankind. In the equality of this creation, there is a order of creation. Mankind sprang from Adam, yet God designed that the rest of the human race should descend from the ordered relation of Adam and Eve. Now, Adam is seen as a father because he is the head of a household and he must nurture all who come from him. According to Apostle Paul, this divine order of creation is significant. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. We can find that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. And for the man is not from the woman, but the woman from the man. We can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. God has shown his fatherhood to us in a direct manner by creating all things and establishing man and by establishing a covenant with his offspring. God also shows his fatherhood through an indirect or meditated matter. Adam, as a son of God, we find this in Luke chapter 3 verse 38, will Imagine God to the rest of the world by meditating, or shall I say mediating, the fatherhood of God. Man is truly to know himself and his place by knowing God, looking upon his face and descending from the contemplation of God to scrutinize himself. Man must know God as his fatherhood before he can fulfill his own role of father to the world. Truly, this is the work of man. Adam's charge is to be a father to the world. Adam will generate his own kind. He is given a wife to assist him in the work and produce other fathers to fulfill the cultural mandate that God has given to his children. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living animal that moves upon the earth. This is found in Genesis one twenty-eight. God mediates his fatherhood through Adam. God apparently had marriage and prosperity in mind for Adam when he gave this command. God will reflect his fatherhood to the world through the mediated divine order of his creation. God created Adam and gave him a name. Adam reflects the fatherhood of God in that he will create and give names. 
not only to the animals, but to his wife Eve, the order of beings created in God's image will be a constant witness to the world of the fatherhood of God. When Adam and Eve sin in chapter 3 of Genesis, God searches for Adam and addresses him first as father or head of his family. Ultimately, it is Adam who faces the largest responsibility for the fall. Eve is responsible for her personal sin, but Adam is held to account as the father of the race. Adam, as the head of the human race, receives the brunt of the curse. Eve's penalty is directed at her person, while for Adam, the curse is directed at the creation outside of Adam. His entire posterity is judged. Therefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We find this in Romans chapter 5 verse 12. For as in Adam all die. We find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 22. But God upholds his relationship with his creation and promises redemption. Even in the promise of a redeemer. The depth and the severity of Adam's sin is brought to the forefront. The promise of redemption will come through the seed of the woman. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We find that in Genesis 3 verse 15. This reference to the seed of the woman is unique in all of scripture. Inheritance in the covenant is at all other times received through the seed of the male. Adam's sin as head of the created order is so great that the curse so deep that his seed cannot produce a redeemer. That is why the redemption must come from the seed of the woman. Let's look at feeding. One of the many dynamics that takes place in the Garden of Eden is an exchange of fatherhood. Feeding and nourishing as an aspect of fatherhood is a major theme of the Genesis exchange. This exchange of fathers takes place in a food test which will become a familiar theme in scripture. God was the father of Adam because he generated him, established him, and fed or nourished him. God as a father not only fed Adam divine revelation, but he fed him with physical food. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for food. We find this in Genesis 1.29. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We find this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. The last two verses show that the food was not only a sign of God's nourishing Adam, but would be a test of Adam's future faithfulness to God his father. Adam had a life as long as he was fed by God. 
both by revelation and physical food. In this aspect, both types of feeding are spiritual feedings. Adam received doctrine and physical food from God. The eating of proper food was a sign that Adam was remaining in the covenant established by God. The teaching is sealed by a food sacrament, the sign of continuality and faithfulness to the covenant. Adam was a faithful son of God as long as he was being fed by God in every aspect of the word of God. To eat God's food is to be in communion with him. Adam exchanges fathers in his eating of the forbidden fruit. He refused the revelation and food of God and comes to be fed from the hand of Satan himself. Adam and Eve believed that the doctrine of Satan instead of the teaching of God. Then to seal their belief, they partook of an unholy communion. They ate the food provided for them by their new father, the devil. Adam and Eve could not remain faithful to their father by believing only in their minds the commands of God. They had to continue in the covenant by obediently eating sacredly sanctioned food. On the other hand, Satan was not satisfied with Adam and Eve simply believing that God's word was wrong. They had to demonstrate their allegiance to their new father by actually partaking of the food that he offered them. Let's look at maintenance. The Lord upholds the covenant by a sacrificial act and the promise of a redeemer that will crush the head of the serpent. The false father will be destroyed. Again, we are focused here on Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God provides atonement and clothing for his fallen children. We see this in Genesis 3, verse 21. Even when the children are disobedient, the father maintains and upholds the relationship. Furthermore, this passage shows that God continued to provide food for Adam and Eve. They would have to wrestle it from the cursed earth because of their sin. Yet God still provides for them, though he disciplines his disobedient children and places them under the mark of his displeasure. He does not disinherit them. The fatherhood of Joseph. The Old Testament Joseph is most noted for his dreams. When Joseph received his dreams, it is pictured as bread. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. We find this in Genesis 37, verse 7. Not only is it pictured as food in his original dream, but he is visited in prison by the wine taster and the baker. Joseph is delivered from his imprisonment because of his power to interpret dreams. Most of these dreams deal with food. The baker meets an untimely end and Joseph is, in many ways, takes his place. Now he will provide bread to Pharaoh. The story of Joseph is enveloped in the understanding of the food and fatherhood. The combination of ruling and feeding is essential to understanding a biblical view of fatherhood. As long as Adam and Eve ate the food ordained by God, they were in the covenant with him, and they were his children. They exchanged fathers when they ate the food offered to them by the devil.
The image of the entire Israelite clan includes his father bowing down to Joseph. Pictured as a sheaf of wheat shows the integral connection between feeding and the fatherhood. We can see this in Genesis 37 verses 5 through 11. When we see this prophetic dream fulfilled, Joseph states, So now it was not you that sent me here, but God, and he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and the Lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. That is found in Genesis 45 verse 8. How had Joseph become a father to Pharaoh, who without a doubt, as our last discourse has proved, was in fact a father to Joseph. Biblically speaking, the one who feeds you is your father. Joseph goes from being the servant of Pharaoh to being his father. This is done by an exchange of position in the office of feeding. Joseph provides food for Pharaoh, his whole house, and the surrounding countries. Joseph has become bread to the world. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all lands. We find this in Genesis 41, verse 57. Joseph is a father to Pharaoh and to the world because he feeds the world with physical and spiritual food. Joseph is a priest to the world. He provides bread, the interpretation of dreams, and eventually the hidden plan and the word of God to his brothers. That can be found in Genesis 50, verses 20 and 21. Now, maintenance. Joseph, as a father, maintains his people. When Israel died, the brothers came to Joseph with the false report that Jacob had asked that Joseph promise not to judge them after he was dead. They feared the wrath of Joseph. We can find this in Genesis 50, verses 15 through 23. Now that their father was dead, who would take care of the brothers and be the head of their house? Joseph says that he is in the place of God and that he will be their father. Joseph will nourish and maintain them and their children. Despite their sins, he will maintain the covenant of God. Joseph is in the place of God as a father in the same way that God maintained the covenant with Adam after the fall. Joseph is a wonderful type of our Lord Jesus Christ in his forgiveness, his self-sacrificial nature, and the love he displayed to his own brothers who tried to kill him. Let's look at New Testament appearances. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, yet he too is pictured and addressed in Scripture as Father. A passage in Isaiah accurately describes Christ, the Messiah, as a Father. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and the name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. 
We find this in Isaiah 9, verses 5 through 6. The Messiah will order and establish a government. He will be the head of a people, of a kingdom, like Joseph. The Messiah will be a son who becomes a counselor, a provider of wisdom, spiritual food. The attributes of fatherhood described in this article are all present in Christ. He establishes, feeds, and maintains a household. He is the head and the second Adam of a new creation. We'll find this in Romans 5, 14, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 and 45. Christ is seen in the Gospels as establishing his people by instituting the church. He is seen as the feeding his people with both physical and spiritual food. Our Lord teaches the word of God and gives them loaves, fish, a new Passover, and the bread of life. Christ promises to be with the church that he has established and to feed her to the end of the age. He will maintain his covenant people. The divine order of the Trinity must always be maintained. We are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Creed attests to the importance of the inner working of the Trinity and its importance to Christians of all ages. Christ as the Son of God mediates the fatherhood of God in the Trinity and shows forth the divine order of the Trinity, which God the Father as the head. The mediation of the fatherhood of God is so perfect in Christ that he claims to have seen him is to have seen the Father. We find this in John chapter 14, verses 8 through 11. Truly, Christ is the ultimate image of the living God. As Paul says, because he is the perfect picture of a father. By knowing Christ, we know that the father, as our Lord instructed Philip. Apostolic fatherhood. The apostles are called fathers in the New Testament. We can find this in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 13, 1 John chapter 2 verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 15 and 17, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 2, 18, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 2, Philemon and also we see that in Titus chapter 1 verse 2. Now, it's in Philemon 10, but I'll have to get the verse. Peter, John, and Paul all address fellow Christians who are not their natural offspring as children or sons. They call themselves fathers because they fulfill the biblical requirement of being a father. They have generated churches and people. They fed churches and they maintain the same. By being ministers of the word of God, they continue the work of mediating the fatherhood of God to the rest of the world. This work was begun by Adam, redeemed and perfected by Christ, and is now being brought to completion by the church. Is the image of God as father now outdated in the changing climate of a Western society, striving to be matriarchal? 
and sometimes asexual? Is the fatherhood of God an eternal, immutable attribute or an outdated anthropomorphism? The fatherhood of God was originally mediated in his creation of the world and the human race. The image of God is fully represented in both genders. God created man in his own image. Again, we see this in Genesis 1.27. Male and female, he created them. We see this in Genesis chapter 5, verse 2. Yet, in this creation of male and female as Adam or mankind... God made the male first, and the woman was brought forth from his living flesh. She came from man and was named by him, the sign of headship and fatherhood. Paul sees this order as significant. Man and woman are equal heirs in the kingdom. This equality exists within God's holy order. The literal meaning of hierarchy just as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal and yet have a different position and function in the Trinity. So it is with the only creation that has been brought about in God's image. Mankind is both male and female. Their offspring will be under their headship. The father, mother, and children are all equal heirs in the kingdom of God, yet they have an order of relation that reflects the divine order of the Trinity. Since God is immutable, so is his chief agent, mankind, in mediating this divine order to the whole of creation. Okay. And I am going to skip down to another part of what Brother Kelly has here. And Okay. In the Old Testament, God is often referred to in a metaphorical way as a father. Sometimes God is referred to with the use of a maternal metaphor. For example, in Exodus 19 Verse 4, and when we look here, I'm in the New King James Version, Exodus 19, verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Usually the female or the woman will bear children. So that would be what he was referring to. So let me get back to uh, what he's saying. It is important to note that most, if not all, the Old Testament reference are metaphors. But in the New Testament, the word God almost always refers to the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Christ refers to God as his Father. We are taught by our Lord to pray to our Father who art in heaven. Christ addresses him by the proper name Father. We'll see this in Matthew chapter 10 verses 32 through 33. 
Matthew 11, verses 25 and 26. This progress of revelation of the fatherhood of God has substantial impact on how we view God and his ministers. God in the New Testament is no longer a father concept. He is father by direct address. Needless to say, this has a direct impact. Let me back this up. This has a direct impact on how we worship and address God through Christ. The mediator, God in the New Testament, is not gender neutral. The push for gender neutral or inclusive language and priestesses is a direct result of the broad loss of the sense that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is actually called Father by direct address and not just by metaphoric allusion. This latest fad in the church is actually an attempt to redefine the image of God. With this in mind, we need to discuss the nature of New Testament ordained ministry. Since the New Testament offices of bishop and priest fulfill the requirements of the meteorial role of father, it is proper to call them father. The question is, is it proper to call them father? The point that needs to be discussed is the often misquoted verse in the Gospel of Matthew. But be not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all you are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. Neither be called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. We find this Matthew 23, verses 8 through 10. The verse taken out of context would seem to prohibit giving the title of father or rabbi or master to anyone except the members of the Godhead. It is obvious that the apostles called themselves fathers, and Sarah called Abraham Lord. The Matthew passage taken literally would forbid us from calling anyone, even our natural male parent, father. The title of Mr. would be forbidden because it is a deviation of Master. It would even make Isaiah's prophecy concerning the Messiah being a father to be improper. The passage above is a denunciation of the Pharisees. The entire chapter is a condemnation of the practice of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the teachers spiritual feeders and fathers of the day. They erred and exchanged the teachings of God for the teachings of man. The Pharisees named their own teachers and the ultimate fathers. Let me repeat that. The Pharisees named their own teachers as the ultimate fathers. They fed on their own spiritual food and no longer sought God's perfect food. They elevated their teachings over the law of God. The sin of the Pharisees was in calling men their father and to view men as the ultimate teachers, feeders of truth.
Christ identifies the primary sin of the Pharisees. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. We find this in Matthew 15, verse 9. They had exchanged fathers just as Adam did. And Jesus identifies the true father of the Pharisees. You are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. We find this in John 8, verse 44. The injunction in its context to call no man father, master, or rabbi is a command not to seek teachers other than God. Their teachings and traditions should not replace the law of God, as the Pharisees did. We must take our food from God, not men. Additionally, the passage is a charge against those who seek power for the temporal, fleshy trappings that it offers. We should always be aware of those who seek power to be seen. God gives his power and mediates his fatherhood best to those who would seek to serve. With this proper understanding of the Matthew fatherhood passage, and hopefully the fuller understanding that this article has presented concerning the fatherhood of God in its direct and meditated appearances, that it's very appropriate to call a bishop or priest or anyone else in authority, including the secular realm, by the name or title, Father. This practice points to God's divine order and shows forth the mediation of his ultimate fatherhood to us. Abuses of the past and misunderstandings of the present do not negate the proper use of the title Father for our teachers, bishops. Doing so demonstrates the glory and immutable essence of God. This was Adam's duty before the fall. It is now the eternal duty. It is now the eternal duty of Jesus Christ, the second Adam, and the duty of his children after the redemption now and forevermore. I thought this was a very interesting piece. Again, The Fatherhood of God by Brother Mark Kelly. We need to make sure that we understand how God set this up. And he had an order to things. And we must understand that we want to please God. And how we please him is learning from his word. And his examples that he lays out in his holy word. Very revelatory. How he taught Adam. And what he was teaching Adam. 
and how Adam exchanged fathers. And it can happen that quick. And God will present an opportunity where our faithfulness will be tested. It's important that the era of our ways can be clearly demonstrated. So that we can get back in line. You know, relationship is important. And we have to understand that God is sovereign, His instructions apply as they've always applied. And we see here that God will perform His covenant. God is not going to stop being God because we want to put Him to the test. There's nobody like Him. Father, when you think about that, how significant that is, there's a headship involved. There's a generating and establishing a household. Even before Eve came into existence. God spent time instructing Adam in the physical and in the supernatural. How many of us are spending time encouraging one to set up a godly household Before you add anything to it. I think it's important. That young men and women. Spend time with God. That they make sure that they have a great foundation and relationship established with God. And it starts early. It's the spiritual realm that we most need to concern ourselves with. See, when you look at how Eve was beguiled by the serpent, and Adam was standing right there. He had a duty and a responsibility 
he was responsible for feeding his household physically and spiritually. The Word of God. It's important. And Eve was guilty of a personal sin. But God charged Adam more. And mankind fell as a result of that. We have a great opportunity today. to get back in line with what God has established. Fatherhood should begin and end with your position with God. That is what's going to get you through. Life has its valley experiences. It has its mountaintop experiences. It has its stuck in traffic experiences. It has its mental challenges, its physical challenges, emotional, financial, relationship challenges. But it's important to remember that God is everywhere at the same time. He's in and out of time. Time does not define him. He's timeless. It behooves us to make sure that we're working on that foundation with the Father of us all. The one who created us that one that created the earth and everything in it. The one that hung the stars and the moon and the sky. That established heaven and everything under it, around it, concerning it. The one who gave us a Savior. So that sin would not separate us. Because of our Lord and Savior shedding His blood, So that we would have and would be salvation and redemption. I would encourage you to revisit Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And not let today's society 
put any kind of pressure on you to adjust what God has divinely ordained and set up. Now is not the time to adjust. Now is the time to be obedient and steadfast and help those who will eventually be fathers understand the importance of relationship with our Father who art in heaven. See, our Lord and Savior says He does nothing without His Father. It is the Father who sent Him. That He and the Father are one. I hope that you appreciate the fatherhood of God that was presented to you today. It really touched my heart. And today was a full day for me. But I appreciate God saw fit in allowing me to serve him another day. I wish you great peace and blessings without cease and grow in the word of God. We love you. Save the lost at all costs and God bless you. It is our humble prayer that the most high God of all creation and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ continues to bless you and yours without cease for tuning in today and supporting this great move of God with your generous donations. Save the Lost at All Costs is a Holy Spirit filled live called in weekly radio ministry that has been airing since 2005 and serving in the greater Las Vegas community. We can be heard every Sunday at 3.02 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Las Vegas. Vegas's very own Christian Talk radio stations, 1060 AM and 101.5 FM. Also, we are audio and video streamed in real time during our live broadcast at www.kkvv.com and our website, www.savethelostlv.org. If you would like to re-listen to a previous broadcast at no charge, make an online secure donation, or learn more about our ministry, please visit our website at www.savethelostlv.org. If you prefer, you can mail in a donation. Address it to Save the Lost at All Cost, Inc., P.O. Box number 335852, North Las Vegas 89033. Again, our P.O. Box number is 335852, North Las Vegas 89033. All donations made to Save the Lost at All Cost, Inc. are 100% tax deductible. For more information, please feel free to call or text us at 702-219-6882. Again, 702-219-6882. We would like to thank you again. Remember to remain in Christ, stay prayed up, tune in, and don't forget to save the lost at all costs, no matter what. Right.